you can scale any way you want in real estate. Um, but I think some people think that the only way to scale is, you know, maybe through a syndication, but you, you don't necessarily have to do that. You know, for me, because early on we were going broke um, and putting all our money into real estate, we retained all the equity. Well, then if you're able to run those properties significantly better than the previous person, you have the opportunity to be able to refi that money back out. If you're not splitting the refinance with other people, well, then obviously you're getting a lot from that and then you can push it right back into real estate. We know that building wealth comes from owning businesses and making investments. Yet why still do nearly half of businesses fail in the first five years and why do others lose it all in their investments? Welcome to the Wealth Watchers Podcast, your resource for building a massive net worth. We bring real stories from real people who are experts in business and investing who will share secrets and actionable strategies to amassing wealth and achieving success. Brought to you by Happy Camper Capital. And now, your hosts, Justin Hoggett and Adam Lendy. Welcome back to the Wealth Watchers Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Lundy. With me, as always, is my trusty co-host, Justin Hoggett. Justin, what's going on, man? <laughs> Not much, Adam. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I mean, I got to say, it's, it's this is a nice oasis in the day to be able to get away from head down work. So uh, probably one of the highlights of the day yeah, today. Lo- love the conversations we have on these. And, uh, and, and then just kind of looking at the calendar, man, I can't believe it's May already. Uh, oh we got gosh. a park closing on May 13th, and that is quickly coming upon us. And then Another one shortly thereafter in Missouri. So it's keeping us busy. Where's the year going? <laughs> and, and of course, we can't wait to use them. Absolutely. It's that time of year. Absolutely. That's why we do this. All right. Well, let's bring in our guest today. Our guest is the CEO and founder of Rankin Holdings. Uh, we got Logan Rankin. How are you today, Logan? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, welcome on. Thanks for joining us. All right, Logan. Well, obviously, we want to get in and chat with you a little bit about what you do. But first, I'd love to know the man behind the story. So can you maybe bring us up to today and let us know kind of your background and why does you do what you do? Yeah, that sounds great, guys. Um, so for me, uh, I grew up in a small uh, town in northern, northeastern Wisconsin, blue collar, hardworking, um, just not a lot of financial literacy. So, you know, speed up. I go through high school, go through college, graduate you know, didn't learn anything about money, didn't know anything about building wealth. Um, my family doesn't come from money. I don't know any friends or family. So I do what anybody does. Yeah, I start, I get a corporate job. So I started working for a Fortune 50 company um, in leadership uh, in the retail sector and started doing that for a few years. And I did what I've taught to do, you know, all debt's bad debt. So I better pay off that, um, you know, save money and uh, start putting some money into a 401k. But Coming from no money, I always wanted money. And after a few years of doing that, I felt like I couldn't get ahead, right? I looked at my net worth. I looked at what I was doing. We're working really, really hard, but I didn't feel like I had any control and I could, I could feel my money not working as hard as me. Um, so I started reading. <laughs> so I read a ton of books. I st- I, now I read a book a week. I, I, I love to continue to learn. And you read enough books about building wealth, you run into real estate, right? So I tried every other investment, saved real estate for last. Um, my wife and, up, wife and I saved up enough money and I convinced her that we would buy our first investment property. We had enough to buy a single family house. Um, I underwrote the deal by, by following what the book told me to do. <laughs> it said it would produce $3,400 in one year. And I said, hey, if, if it does this, we'll just use that money and take a vacation. A year goes by. By the way, it left $7 in our bank account. <laughs> uh, so literally like $7. 
Um, so my wife was a little freaked out, um, but a year went by and, and it produced $3,300. And that changed everything for me, guys. Like uh, not the $3,300, the fact that I could underwrite or predict what, how much cash flow my investment would produce in a year. Because if you asked me to do that in my 401k or any of my other investments up to that point, I'd have no clue, right? So that predictableness, the ability to control that, and especially since I've only read a few books before I got into it. So convinced my wife not to take that vacation. We took the money, saved up again. And the next year we bought two units. Um, the year after that, we doubled. We bought two more duplexes. So we bought four units. So in the first three years, I had seven units. And then I kept, we, that's what we kept doing. So we kept going broke by investing all of our money into real estate over and over again. I started getting promoted more and more at my job. Realized that in my W-2 job, um, I started making it up to you know vice president and uh, higher levels. And I realized that the same things that were making me good at my job, uh, which was you know uh, being really good with operations, uh, obsessing over P&Ls, and being able to lead uh, people were also making me good in real estate. I had a third party management company at the time. And um, I started looking at my properties as not properties anymore. I started looking at businesses. So that really changed because I started figuring out, I'm from Wisconsin, right? This isn't the East Coast, West Coast. You can't, there's not a lot of appreciation, but if you can run your properties like businesses, you can force appreciation. And I started doing that. And um, uh, right at when I hit 30 years old, uh, 2019, a little bit before, um, I had about 180, 200 units. Um, so I retired from my job. That was bringing in enough money to um, help me uh, after tax. It's not what you make, it's what you keep. So I was making more of my W-2 job, but those 180, 200 units, um, you know, were producing enough money to be able to replace my salary. Um, so I did. And then I started a property management company uh, and continue to grow. Uh, today, I'm at 1,923 units. Um, so I've grown a lot. I own my own management company. And um, this year alone, um, I've closed on 500 units already this year. And what makes me unique is I have never done a syndication and I don't have a partner. So I've kept all the equity. That's fantastic. And what, what was that book that pivoted things for you? The one that I guess finally was the catalyst to get you into real estate. Yeah. Well, the got me into real estate was rich dad, poor dad, as a lot of people, it just was a complete mindset shift. So that really pushed me into like, we just got to give it a chance. You got to take more risks. And that's the problem with school, right? They teach you not to take any risks only to play defense. And I think that really helped me from an start to play offense. Right. Awesome. Well, that's that's quite the journey you've been on. And I mean, really, really impressive that you've done this all on your own. So um, I, I guess what was your secret to scaling? I mean, if you did this without bringing other people in to get that many units in that short of time. Yeah, I think um, I think that's like the misconception now, too, with like, you know, there's nothing you can you can scale any way you want in real estate. Um, but I think some people think that the only way to scale is, you know, maybe through a syndication, but you, you don't necessarily have to do that. You know, for me, because early on we were going broke um, and putting all our money into real estate, we retained all the equity. Well, then if you're able to run those properties significantly better than the previous person, you have the opportunity to be able to refi that money back out. If you're not splitting the refinance with other people, well, then obviously you're getting a lot from that and then you can push it right back into real estate. So um, you know, it took me seven years to get to 180 units. It's taken me two and a half to go from 180 to almost 2000. So what, what's the difference there? That's the property management company that I built. So we went, we have 72 employees now, and, um, I specialize in buying C-class or B-class apartments. And, um, I love to buy them from owner operators, um, that think they know how to run their properties well, but there's just not a lot of systems. Um, and the properties are tired. 
and they haven't uh, increased rents like they should have, but they also haven't systemized the expenses. So what we'll do is um, we'll go in there and we'll provide a ton of value to the residents. We will, we will put in significant amount of upgrades uh, into the apartments. So for example, um, I don't remember the last time, it's probably 12 months running that I've spent about a half a million dollars each month in capital improvements. We're turning about 15 to 20 units a week. Um, our expectation is to turn a 10 to $20,000 unit in 72 hours. So we're just, we're just blitzing these. We've got nine teams of three, they go in and that's all they do. And so if you can put that amount of money into it, right? If you can, if you can spend a lot of money in your apartment, you also can increase, um, income, but if everything's pretty much new, you're also decreasing the operating expenses as well. That's pretty incredible. And before we started on the show, you talked about basically you run a uh, construction business because of that aspect of things. So explain the differences there a little bit and how that uh, jives with the property management. Yeah. Property management is all about systemizing, you know, having good standard operating procedures and obviously being able to maintain um, the properties. And I would tell you what, one of my goals, we can talk about it later, but is actually disrupt property management. I actually think everything's wrong about the way we do property management in today's um, society. Like it shouldn't even be called property management. Property management is the easy part right? It's dealing with the, we're talking about this, right, Justin, where it's, it's the tenants, it's the resident, it's the experience that the residents or tenants get. That's that hardest part about property management. It's not managing the property. <laughs> so first you got to create a great experience. And I'll tell you what, I mean, it's not baby boomers are not the number one renters anymore. It's Gen X and millennials, and they expect a different kind of experience. Um, so property management has to do better. And we're trying to do that. But to answer your question, I have more people in our property management company that works in the construction side of things, which is, you know, remodeling uh, 85% of the work that we do, we do it in-house. So we got teams that will go in and remodel these apartments, um, like I said, with speed and do it the right way, which significantly adds more value, but also let's play in the middle. Because right now we got, we got the, uh, apartments that are, at least in Wisconsin, you know, five to $700, you got, you still got the weird shade carpet and uh, random paint colors and then you got brand new construction which is two to six thousand dollars a month but there's not a lot in the middle and there's a lot of places across the middle in midwest that that don't play in the middle so what we do is we come in we assess does this unit need a heavy turn a medium turn or a light turn our operations director it's not emotional it's it's the same luxury vinyl plank floor and we just do a calculation how much more in rent can we get so for example, our medium terms are about $5,000. It's like all new luxury vinyl plank flooring, maybe some updated fixtures and paint. Not heavy, heavy would be more like replacing cabinets, bathroom, 10 to $20,000 rehab. But why would we do the $5,000 one? It just depends on how much more rent we can get. So if we get, let's just say $150 more in rent per month, it's $1,800 more a year. 1,800 divided by 5,000 is a 36% return on our investment. So we'll do it. Anything over 30 is, is money well spent. And our goals for every dollar of CapEx we spend, I want to make three. Um, so we just run a simple calculation. And to answer your question, Justin, that's, that's what we do over and over and over again. And so we're going in there, bumping up rents, 150, sometimes 300, sometimes even doubling them if we can add that value. Um, and I'll tell you what, like we just, we can't keep them full. There's not, the residents don't want to pay the five to $700 for the shade carpet. They want something in between and they, and they, but they don't also want to play the two to six, at least in the C class and B class. And, you know, coming from a blue collar family and a hardworking 
um, small city, like that's, that's a niche I like. And I feel it, it's safe uh, as well too, from like a pullback in the market. And you mentioned you've got three teams and nine on your construction. How many, who else is on your team? How, how, how many other people are doing this for you? We have nine teams of three. So our, our turn teams are only three. It's a crew captain and two other maintenance technicians. Um, and they'll go in, um, uh, materials will be waiting for them. Tenant walks out, they go in and they go, they go ahead and do it. Above them, there's two um, operational leaders, uh, one in the north and one in the south. So picture each of them having, you know, a crew of four and a crew of five. Um, above them, there's an operations director. Um, so that's basically like the construction side of what it looks like. We have a CapEx leader as well. So, um, you know, operation uh, director is overseeing all of it, um, but the CapEx is mostly doing things like, right, windows, doors, uh, roofs, that kind of stuff. And then we also have a service tech leader. And a lot, this is where I think a lot of property management screw it up. Um, the same people that remodel your apartments should not be the same people that service uh, the resident when something goes wrong. And when you mix, because it's a different person, right? Uh, the, the person that's putting in the luxury vinyl plank floor and remodeling the apartment, they never see the resident and it's all about speed and it's all about quality. The service tech that's going into the unit that's fixing the garbage disposal is, is facing and it now experience matters because you got to be able to solve problems, strategize, and, and obviously be able to communicate with the resident. Um, so we have that division as well too. Um, that's the operation side. Uh, we have a community work stream. They're in charge of basically uh, a, the way apartments look, the way apartments feel, and even the way apartments smell. Um, I still have, by the way, about, I don't know, probably 200 units that are like duplexes and four units and stuff like that. That's what I had to do to be able to scale. Uh, but there, our grasses are edged, our hallways do not smell, um, and we do everything we can so that when you look at uh, the, the apartment that we manage and the apartment across the street, you don't even, there doesn't need to be a sign. You know that we manage this one. So we're, we are trying to be different um, and, and build a reputation based on that too. Um, and then the last we have the, you know, we call it the executive work stream, but it's the the office, um, everything else, right? Leasing, receptionist, uh, and same thing there. Like in Wisconsin last year, um, this is funny, uh, the average service request when a, when a resident needed something done took 49 days, okay? 49 days to fix the garbage disposal. 97% uh, of the time last year, we did it in 48 hours. Um, when you call my management company, like we'll, we'll, we'll pick up on the second ring. When you call a lot of other property management companies, they won't pick up. So like just, just these little things, uh, what, you know, we have, I feel like 17 different things that we're trying to do to that's very, very different. That's disrupting how property management companies, um, manage their properties and care for their residents. Um, and right now you don't have to work very hard in, in the property management sector, right? Cause there's not enough housing. So like, I mean, if you don't fix things for 49 days, someone leaves, you got somebody else ready to go. But that'll, that'll evolve and that'll change. And you also can't ask for as much rent as I ask for because you don't provide this, the experience that you need to. Now, let me ask you a question. And, and this is maybe a little bit of theory here. But, um, you know, I also, as you recognize that I, I have my own property management company and I try, I strive for the best customer service I can. And I feel like part of that uh, creates more calls. So the better you do, the more calls you get, because then they're like, well, if I call them, they're going to respond. And if I call them, they're going to help out. And so <laughs> do you feel like there's maybe a balance of amazing customer service and not generating all those additional calls? 
Yeah, you got to know when to draw the line for sure. Um, but I think you can like little things can help too, right? Like for example, I mean, we don't we don't actually uh, little things like we want to make sure that you're super happy with your place. And obviously, if you need us, there's a water leak or you know your refrigerator handle falls off, we want to be there for you. But today, you're asking me to go fix the blinds and just screw in your light bulb. We're happy to be able to do that for you. But I also wanted you to understand that one of the ways that we do rent renewals and rent increases is by assessing how much every single unit costs us to be able to manage. You had three calls for things like these smaller items in the last month. Again, we're happy to do it, but I want you to understand how rent increases work. That usually can solve the issue um, right away over the phone. Because um, again, we don't want to deter you from calling us, but you make up a really good point, Justin. Like, come on. Like, there's a, now you're taking advantage of us. So. Yeah. And we, we try to use the best technology too. I think technology is super important. So I, what I'm starting to realize is there is a certain kind of renter that's going to call us every time, but those renter, the, that's changing. Now, the new renter doesn't want to ever see us or talk to us when something goes wrong. So we have to have the capabilities for them to be able to put in a service request right into, we use Appfolio, um, which is super handy because then it actually can go to our service techs that are in the field right to their phone. And then our expectation is that we text them because they don't want it, they don't want it to call within two hours. And then we service it within 48. Um, and that works pretty effective too, because you're right. Like it's better for us if you just use the, use the portal and just like, <laughs> we could actually be faster, you know, but some people are going to still call. Yeah, absolutely. Now stepping back, uh, it's also probably the scaling model that you were able to go through, but what, at what point do you figure the property, how many properties did it take to get to a point that you could really scale into the teams that um, you've established at this point? Yeah. So at about, this is such a good question. Um, at about 180, 200 units, when I started my property management company, we had five people. So, it, you know, it's, it's, it's tough because it costs, it costs a lot of money, right? Um, to be able to do it. And, and so you have to have scale to be able to grow. So I would say when we started to feel, when I crossed the thousand unit mark, and we only managed for my property, but we also managed for my employees too. But when we, when we crossed the thousand, we started to feel that we're really hitting that economy of scale and the ability to really have these teams moving on. But it's still like, it's, it's tough because as you scale or as you acquire more units, as you want to do, that's great because you can have more levels of leadership. You can have more checks and balances, but you also have to make sure that you have the right balance of work too for everybody, right? So my only diversification is in real estate, whether I'm buying A class, B class, or C class. I got to make sure I don't buy too much C class to overwhelm my teams and not be able to staff for it enough, right? But I, but I also got to make sure I buy enough to ensure that we can be remodeling X amount of units per month too. So it's, it is a give and take for sure. Yeah. And, and I've always mentioned too, the, uh, the headaches uh, of, of, I guess, property management in the sense that uh, when you redo a unit, you are reducing your headaches. And so it's yeah. not just the dollar amount that you get from it, but also the diminished call volume uh, on repairs or, uh, or even the staff that you need to keep that unit running. So that's such a good point. This is, I, I don't, there's not enough investors that understand that. Like when we go in there, we're not just making it look good. We're hardening it. Right. That's why we luxury vinyl plank in the whole thing. It's scratch resistant. It's pet resistant. It's water resistant. Like instead of replacing the carpet every two turns, we're replacing every 10 to 15 years instead. That's, I mean, and then you got investors being like, I don't want pets. I love pets. 
I did I did a quarter of a million dollar in pet fees last year. I do more than pet stores, okay? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like pets are awesome. You can make a lot of money off those if you invest in your in your apartments. But here's the thing that that's not even the best part of it. The best part is you're reducing your operating expenses, right? When you value an apartment, when you value a, a real estate investment, it's income minus operating expenses. It's not income minus operating expenses minus CapEx. So if you spend CapEx, right, and, and upgrade your apartment, that's a one-time cost. That's not into the equation. So now, to your point, if you have a brand new appliance, what's the chance that something goes wrong with that appliance? You have brand new plumbing, brand new a cabinet. So you're reducing your OPEX significantly, which if you, if you think about how much that increases your NOI and then you divide it by a six cap, I mean, for every, every dollar you can reduce it, you're making 200. I mean, that's, that's a significant um, reason why you should actually invest in your properties versus trying to pull every dollar out of it. It's, you're not understanding the value component. Now, Logan, I, I want to know a little bit more about your business because that's just kind of where I am. And, and, and I love the way you've grown this and expanded it. So how long have you been operating? We've been operating since 2019. All of this in three years? Yeah. Yep. Holy cow. Okay. So obviously to scale that quickly, there that something had something had to happen. It's, it's, it's something in you. It's something that you did. Um, if you could point to it, what, I, I guess what allowed you to get over that fear that I guess impedes so many people from growing to, to, to scale to this size? Well, there, you asked two questions. I'm going to answer the last one. Like what, what, what is so many people, um, what gets in their way? They feel like they got to get it all figured out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I usually only have 20 to 30% of it figured out as I, I continue to scale. And then I figure the other 70% out as I grow. And then here's the key. You need to everything, everything about my ability to scale from five employees to 72 or 73 now in these three years um, is about who I bring on the team because they're figuring the 70% out too. So in the beginning, I could figure the whole the 70% out as we're going myself. But now, you know, my the guy that runs my property management company, for example, Josh, he's incredible. Um, he was my first hire. Um, so every hire that you bring on, be able to be adaptable in their ability to like solve problems and change with you. If they're not, all that falls back on your plate. So I'm very, very selective about who I'm bringing into the company, especially at the leadership level, um, to ensure that we can always change and adjust. And then, um, as you start to grow, you have to, you cannot do more than 50% of your hours in daily routine stuff, start uh, items in your company, okay? So most investors can't scale because they're spending 90% of their time doing things they have to do to keep the business going, daily activities, right? Daily routine activities. You this is hard for me even too, because I, I, I like to, I like a, if you can tell already, I like to have, I love systems, I love operations. So if we're gonna upgrade a standard operating procedure, I wanna sign off on that shit. Um, but so uh, it's, but, but you can't. So when you're scaling, you got to be confident and you got to be able to trust that, uh, you know, those daily, those routine things Did you train somebody good enough, you develop somebody good enough, and you got to be able to take that off my plate. So what I'm constantly doing and one routine I do every Sunday is I'll, I'll pre-plan the week ahead, right? I think a lot of people have heard that advice before, but the, but the thing I hear people not talking about is I'll look back in the last week and I'll actually try to chart out where did I spend the majority of my time. And if there are things like, for the longest time, I'll tell you, for the longest time I was doing leasing activities or delinquency. 
and it, and it carved up like 10 to 20% of my time. And in like my first year, first year and a half of doing this thing. And at like, why? Like, what do I need to do differently? Is it the person or is it the system? It really only comes down to those two things. If you have a shitty system, well, then you got to figure out the system. A system should be as, as you're scaling, you never can fit people to the systems. You got to fit the, the, you have to build the system and the people, you have to hire the people that go into there because right, that's going to continue to grow. So then I would just ask myself those questions and then be able to build. So, but I make a lot of mistakes all the time. Like I said, I think the biggest thing is like, just grow. Just, you guys are taking on, I, uh, Justin was telling me, um, you only have, you have one RV park right now, but you got two more like set the clubs. So you guys are like crippling, right? Like, that's awesome. And you shouldn't like, if you have it all figured out, great. Uh, but if you only have 20 to 30% all, even better, like that means that you're growing fast enough. Um, and then you just figure it out as it goes. Just don't tell the banks that though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're very organized in your approach. You're ready for this expansion. Right, right. Now, I guess, what's your solution? Because this is going to resonate, I think, for a lot of people who are stuck in this point. Because I, I really feel this is what just hinders a lot of businesses from getting to that, that next level is you hit that uncomfortable growth stage. It typically comes pretty early on where you go, I'm maxed out, but I don't have the, I don't have the, maybe the money to bring on somebody else. I don't have the, the ability or the knowledge, the know-how. Like, did you hit an uncomfortable growth stage to where you, you just, you needed something extra? And if so, what did you do to overcome that? Yeah. I mean, I, I hit a lot of those. I always feel like, I feel like it's like, if it's an apartment building, you maybe people can relate to this. You finally figure it out and you like, finally, like you punch through the ceiling, you get to the next level, but then as soon as you get to the next level, you got all that room to the next part of the ceiling. And it's like, what, what is going on? <laughs> so, um, I, I, I kind of shared one of the things I did. I, I really started to look back at where I'm spending my time. Um, and I realized that I just got myself spending time on daily activities that, um, somebody else should be doing uh, because for my ability to be able to grow the company it can, that it's costing the company a lot of money for me to be able to do that um so i that that was one of the biggest things that i had to do is remove myself from that situation so i could spend my time on other areas for example um as you grow what once was a good system or standard operating procedure might not be anymore so now you need to adapt that standard operating procedure to grow with you. Um, another one that I think a lot of people don't do, and this is why they get overwhelmed, is instead of thinking about like what you guys are going to do this year, you should be thinking about, you know, what, what is your company going to look like in three to five years? If you understand what your company's going to look like in three to five years, then you're going to build that standard operating procedure for three to five years, not, you know, the next six to 12 months. Which, which honestly is a big mistake that I made. Like the first thing I did is build all my systems for like a thousand units. Um, and so as soon as I got past a thousand units, everything started to break. <laughs> so that's not fun. Um, so now how do, how do I adjust and build for that? And then if, I'm start, if you get 30% of where you're going, you got, you got to reevaluate everything again and set a bigger goal. So you should be looking further out, I guess. Absolutely. Well, Logan, that's I mean, honestly great advice, obviously. Um, really great mindset to have around it. And I think there's something to take away from that. So um, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way to reach out to you? Yeah, best way, you can follow me on social media. Um, I can send those to you after this to throw it in the show notes. Uh, my email is logan at loganrankin.com. Loganrankin.com is my website and all my uh, uh, social media handles is that as well too. So, and um, it, yeah, if you did like anything on here too, um, and I can send this to you guys, I was talking to Justin about it, but um, 
I, I was joking. I try to reposition my, you know, a, a, apartment takes about three to four years. If it's 50 units to hundred units to reposition, I like to do it in 12 to 18. Um, so we try to do it really, really quick. So I just, um, I just finished writing a book, my first book, and it took me longer to write this book than to reposition my apartments. It was so hard. <laughs> um, and, uh, it's actually launching on May 10th. Um, so if you want, um, for all of your audience, I can give you guys a link and instead of paying full price, they could pay 99 cents. Like one of my biggest goals now and what, what I'm, um, looking forward to is how do I, I, I kind of shared my story. The, the one thing that changed my life is reading books. Cause unfortunately school didn't do it for me. Society didn't do it for me. Family didn't do it for me. Friends and family. I didn't have a lot of rich, anybody rich around me that understood how money and wealth works. Um, so I'm really, this, this, maybe this is why it took so long to write it. Cause I wanted it to be like everything that could help somebody. Um, so even the paperback and the hardcover is like at cost, right? I'm not trying to profit on this book. I just want to help as many people as I can. And, um, I'm super excited for it on May 10th. What's the name of the book and who's it targeting? Uh, it's find your financial freedom and it's targeting anybody that wants financial freedom faster in life. And uh, you know, there's a lot of books on money and, and business and wealth and wealth growing, but I feel like a lot of them are either on mindset, uh, actually the majority are on mindset. So don't get me wrong. I have that too. Like we, we question different, like I'm, I'm a firm believer that the traditional way to retire <laughs> didn't work very well before, but it's definitely not going to work in the future, but that's all we still freaking keep talking about. So it has a section on those kind of beliefs, but I think what's more important is there's actionable steps in my book. Cause this is what I hate about a lot of money books. It's like, that's great. Okay. You changed my mind, <laughs> but now what do I do? Like, what do I, I remember thinking, I'm like, what do I do? Okay. I'll just like throw all my money except for $7 into a property. No, <laughs> it gives like actionable steps. I still do these steps by the way. Like literally these are the same steps I've been doing for a decade. It took me from $40,000 into debt to a multimillionaire, I'm still doing it, um, to 200 million in real estate. And I have it, everything in there, the vision step, the cash flow budget, the how you look at your net worth, because the top 1% are measuring their net worth every month, not when the vacants. And they're not just measuring the growth, they're measuring the productivity of their net worth. Um, and then has a couple other cool things like um, a legacy chapter. Um, I, I believe that we should be teaching kids, right? So if you have kids, there's a chapter in it to teach these approaches to your kids now. Um, and uh, of course, it's, you can get financial freedom however you want, but there's a bonus chapter on real estate because I think that's one of the best ways to be able to do it. But that's not what this book's about. But anyone that wants financial freedom at any age, um, if you want it faster than what society is telling you, I think my book can help you with it. Great. And awesome. Find Your Financial Freedom is the title? Yep. Find Your fi Financial Freedom. And like I said, I'll, I'll send you the link. It'll uh, link right to... Um, uh, the Amazon website. And it, this link will give all of your um, uh, audience the ebook for 99 cents. Great. And we'll, we'll put that in the show notes when we get it. So thank you, Logan. Before I let you go, I'm going to turn over to Justin for the Wealth Watchers Brain Pick. All right, Logan, we got five quick questions for you. First one, what do you consider your superpower or unique natural ability? Focus. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I think it's even more important in today's world, but we live in a world of instant gratification, of constant distraction, of social media, of everything. And I think if more people, and I think focus can be a, a trained skill, but I do a really good job with focus. I allocate uh, time every day of every week, and that's what I focus on. And I actually think you can, you can harness that superpower to do a lot of really, really cool things um, if you time block and focus on 
one thing <laughs> versus everything. Right. Excellent. If you were to go back three to five years, what might you have done differently that you wish you could have? I would buy more and I wouldn't sell anything. Okay. That's a common theme we hear a lot. And uh, some early mentors of mine have also mentioned the same thing is, is hold, hold, hold. Um, but obviously there's some turnover needed uh, with the capital sometimes, but. Yeah. If the opportunity cost is there, I think that's, I think that's a good, don't just sell to sell. Don't just sell because you can make money sell because there's an opportunity cost for you to make a higher cash on cash return. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so where are you headed in the next three to five years? Uh, next three to five years, um, I'm going to own 10,000 units, a billion dollars worth of real estate. Um, and then uh, that's my goal before I'm 40. I'm about to turn 35. So it fits in well. Um, and then I'm going to expand across the United States. And my, my biggest goal is going to be disrupting property management, hopefully being able to give uh, incredible experiences uh, to uh, that's badly needed in apartments and in housing to residents. And then um, I'm also going to continue to work on my foundation. Uh, the first step was launching this book, obviously, but my wife and I are, are really, really um, excited about building a foundation that's going to be predicated on financial literacy. So um, I actually do, um, I teach, uh, I do one workshop a year, I actually have it coming up here, a real estate workshop, and I take all the money and then we use it to be able to um, help teach it to kids. So amazing. Uh, what's that foundation called? Uh, the Rankin Family Foundation. Okay, excellent. Look into that more. Um, what is your favorite book on business or money? Uh, my favorite book would be Principles on Life and Work by Ray Dalio. Uh, it's a heavy book. Like I, I said, I read a book a week, but this book, like I'm like reading a chapter and then rereading the chapter, but it's so good. Um, in fact, uh, I referenced some things in the podcast, but that has really helped me on my, my growth um, with, with my management company is just figuring that out because it's, it's again, it's not just about systems. It's about systems with people. So, yeah, excellent. All right. And last one for you. What has been your biggest aha moment? Biggest aha moment was when I started looking at properties as not properties anymore. I started looking at businesses. So I love business. I actually like business more than real estate. Um, I just feel like um, uh, real estate is the uh, catalyst because it allows for the most um, smart debt. So, Absolutely. And uh, a little bit about that. That's what we kind of uh, specialize in with the RV campgrounds is, you know, it truly is a business. Uh, just the land is what's the catalyst to provide that cash flow. So absolutely. That's what we enjoy as well. I love what you guys are doing in the RV world. I got to keep my eyes up for you guys in Wisconsin. Um, but it may, it makes a lot of sense and you definitely can keep, keep those operating expenses low. That's the goal <laughs> in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> well, Logan, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your wisdom. Really grateful for your time. Yeah. Thanks Logan. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. This has been another episode of the Wealth Watchers podcast. I'm your host, Adam Lundy, from my co-host, Justin Hoggett, and I. Thanks for stopping by. All right, guys. Thanks, and give us that five-star rating, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Wealth Watchers podcast. If you enjoyed this content, please subscribe and leave a review on your podcast player of choice. Join us on Facebook, where our members and guests are actively engaging in discussions on wealth-growing strategies by searching for Wealth Watchers Community on Facebook. 